reading, and while she's coming up, I forgot to present you with this rose on behalf of the congregation. This is a tradition of our congregation uh, for baptism. Our scripture reading today comes from Acts, verse, Acts 17, verses 16 through 34. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he argued in the synagogue, synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons, and also in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Also, some Epicurean and Stoic philosophers debated with him. Some said, what does this babbler want to say? Others said, he seems to be a proclaimer of foreign divinities. This was because he was telling the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. So they took him and brought him to Areopagus and asked him, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? It sounds rather strange to us, so we would like to know what it means. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners living there would spend their time in nothing but telling or hearing something new. Then Paul stood in front of the Areopagus and said, Athenians, I see how extremely religious you are in every way. For as I went through the city and looked carefully at the objects of your worship, I found among them an altar with the inscription, To an unknown God, what therefore you worship as unknown. This I proclaim to you the God who made the world and everything in it. He who is Lord of heaven and earth does not live in shrines made by human hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mortals life and breath and all things. From one ancestor he made all nations to inhabit the whole earth, and he allotted the times of their existence and the boundaries of the places where they would live so that they would search for God and perhaps grope for him and find him. Though indeed he is not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. As even some of your own poets have said, for we too are his offspring. Since we are God's offspring, we ought not to think that the deity is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of mortals. While God has overlooked the times of human ignorance, now he commands all people everywhere to repent, because he has fixed a day on which he will have the world judged in righteousness by a man whom he, whom he has appointed, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. When they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some scoffed, but others said, We will, we will hear you again about this. At this point, Paul left them. But some of them joined him and became believers, including Dionysus and Areopagite, and a woman named Demarius, and others with them. Thank you, Brenda. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. When Brenda signed up, she did not know it was going to be that long and that many hard words. And I promise you, she didn't know that. <laughs> she did really well. Thank you, Brenda. So I want to start today by showing you a picture of uh, a place that's really special to me and to Gina as well. I went to this state park. It's in Frontenac over by Lake City, uh, which is where I spent seven years working on a golf course. And Gina lived just down the road in Wabasha, where she's a physical therapist. And we met in this town. And uh, I met Jesus in this town of Lake City. And so 
uh, all kinds of really special things happen here. And so before I met Jesus, before I met Gina, I would go to this park and hike and just decompress and pray and all kinds of things. So last August, I went there and went on a silent retreat with my dog and went up to this bench. And as I was sitting there, looking over all of, this is Lake Pepin, and then over here on the right, you can't really see it, is all of Lake City. And I never had an experience quite like it. I was just sitting there and sort of feeling anxious in my heart. Well, a lot anxious, you know. But I'm, I'm sitting there and I can remember all these different times in my life. Uh, all these moments where God had been present to me or hard times where I wasn't really sure if God was working. And I could literally just kind of look down the river and had a memory for each one. <laughs> Like, oh yeah, and then if you go further down the river, it's Wabasha, and that's where Gina and I lived after we got married or whatever. It was just this really deep sense of peace, this sense that God had been there through every moment of my life during those eight years that I had lived in that area. The experience gave me a sense of peace that I really needed at the time, and it also gave me a sense of trust and hope that God was working right now. That was back in August. And then also a sense of curiosity of what, what is God going to do next. If I look back on that time in my life and can see with great clarity, oh, God was working in this moment and that moment and that moment and feeling peace from it, then what does that mean? That, that what, what is God going to do next in my life? That was a curiosity that was generated. This experience seems similar to me to what Paul is saying when he says, in Him... In Jesus, we live and move and have our being. It's this reality that God is present and working in all situations. That God is present and working in all people. No matter what we're going through. It's, it's the hardest thing to believe, but it's, it's clear that Paul had experienced this reality for himself. That's why he says things like, in Him we live and move and have our being. In Christ, we live and move and have our being. God is everywhere. God is within us. God is all around us. There is nowhere that we can, there is nowhere that we can go where God is not present and working in our life. Paul also says things like, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's a favorite of many people. And in Romans chapter 5, I, I love this one. Maybe you've heard it before. Paul says, Therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand. Paul's not talking about going and standing in one particular spot where now we have God's grace, but that our reality is that we're continually standing in God's grace, that God is always with us and around us. Later, again in Romans, he says in chapter 8, I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Paul's experience of following Jesus, of being a disciple, was that God is present in all circumstances. And he was eager. Paul was eager, driven, even desperate to bring others into a similar kind of relationship with God. That's what Paul was so eager to do. So when Paul arrives in Athens, 
He sees the city. This is what we read. When Paul arrives in Athens, he sees the city is full of idols. And what does he say? Uh, Live and let live. It's all good. You know, you do you, I'll do me. No. The text says he was deeply distressed. And when you look into like, what does that actually mean? It says, actually, this is like a kind interpretation saying deeply distressed. That doesn't just mean he just felt uneasy about it. No, he was ticked off. He was like really mad. Like, how can there be so many idols here? This Athens was kind of like if we were to go up to, I don't even want to use Minneapolis. It's such a political hot button right now. <laughs> but, you know, a really big city where you just look around and, and it's so different from the way that you live and you're like, wow. People, their their idols are just everywhere here. People are so far from God. And that was Paul's experience. He was so deeply distressed. He was so disturbed. Because remember, his desire was to bring people into relationship with Jesus who is everywhere in all things, for all people, working in all circumstances, for the good of those who love God. That's what Paul was just eager and driven to do. And so when he sees that, he is bothered by it. So first, he does what most of us would want to do. He goes and he starts to argue with people and debate. He's like, let me tell you why you're wrong. (laughs) He especially starts to argue with some of the different groups. Uh, For many days, the text says, for days on end, he he argues and debates with Jews. Who He he was a Jew. He was raised in the Jewish faith. and, And he was telling them specifically about the resurrection of Jesus and how that means that Jesus is Lord and Savior. And he argues and debates with different philosophers who had different thoughts about the meaning of life and, you know, is there a God or what, you know, what is life all about? And they, they definitely weren't people who believed in Jesus that he was resurrected. Actually, they said, he's a babbler. Well, this guy's crazy. He's not even making any sense. <laughs> but Paul continues to go day after day. They think he's so crazy talking about the resurrection of the dead, but... Paul gets a chance to speak at the place where the who's who would speak during that time. It's called the Areopagus. They actually say that Socrates went there and was on trial for some of the crazy ideas that he had way before Paul. It was uh, this place where all the intellectuals would gather and hear what the new ideas were, and they kind of liked it. It like tickled their ears, you know? And in this speech, Paul, he doesn't hold back. He doesn't, you know, change the gospel or anything. He speaks the truth about God. And about what God has done. And he says God has orchestrated all of this life. He's he's set apart all these details of your life. And he, he gives some of these. Let me see if I can read some of these to you. He says, The God who made the world and everything in it, He who is Lord of heaven and earth. Notice he's saying the God. There's one God. Not many gods like others would think during this time. This does not live in shrines by, made by human hands nor served by human hands as though He needed anything. Since He Himself gives to all mortals and breath and all things. From one ancestor He made all nations to inhabit the whole earth and He allotted the times of their existence and the boundaries of the places where they would live. Why? So that they would search for God all of the details of your life, all the things that God has done throughout history or not done or whatever, all the things. What Paul is saying, the whole purpose of your life is so that you would search for God. So that you would search for God. 
And perhaps he says, Paul says, and grope for him, mean just like intently searching for him and find him. Though indeed he is not far from each one of us. Again, Paul says, for in him we live and move and have our being. So it's a powerful speech. But what I want to point out to you is maybe the most important part of the whole speech is that Paul experienced this reality first for himself. And then he invited the hearers of this message into that reality with him. He didn't just talk about some intellectual idea like maybe he did when he was a Jewish uh, leader. He talked about this reality that he had experienced for himself, that he's found God to be everywhere in all things and there for him in all circumstances. Paul's speech was an invitation, echoing Jesus' invitation to come and follow me. This reality that God is close to the brokenhearted. In Jesus' words that when we seek God, we will find God. Jesus says it this way, so I say to you, at, this is Luke chapter 11. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Search and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and everyone who searches finds. And for everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. I think that most of us would like to do what Paul did in today's world that's so full of right ideas and wrong ideas, polarization and all the political stuff or whatever. It doesn't even have to be political. We just have it so fixed in our minds what's right or what's wrong. Most of us would like to do what Paul did. To be able to have great arguments about why people should turn from their idols and and give more of themselves to God. And we feel like then we need to be able to do that. I'm guessing that most of you here in this room would like to tell other people about Jesus. I'm guessing that most of you here in this room would like to bring others into the love and care and grace and mercy of Jesus. So what is it that stops you from doing that? Maybe you all did that this week. Did you? (laughs) Let's let's hear some of the stories. (laughs) What is it that stops you from doing that? Maybe because you feel like you need to have all the right answers to all the questions or to the doubts or to people's indifference or even hostility to what you would say about your faith in God. We feel like we need to have all the right answers, so we don't. We just don't try. Let's see, we may want to be like Paul and, and do the things that Paul did and have all the right answers and have really convincing arguments, but that's not reality for us. And by the way, it doesn't work. It doesn't work to have the right ideas and just tell people why they're wrong. The most important part for us is the thing that Paul did in, in verse 23, and this is the easiest part to miss. Paul, after he got done arguing and then was invited to the Areopagus where he could have this big moment where he could give a powerful speech, he goes and looks around a little bit. He says, for as I went through the... He said, well, first of all, he said, hey, Athenians, I see how extremely religious you are in every way. For as I went through the city and I looked carefully at the objects of your worship, I found among them an altar with the inscription, to an unknown God. What therefore you worship is unknown, this I proclaim to you. And he goes on for the rest of his speech. 
What's easy to miss as we, read, as we look at this text is that Paul's curiosity about the Athenians, about their values and their idols, gave him a way to talk about God with them. Paul's willingness to look at their lives and say, what is it that they value? What is it that they believe? Why did they believe that? What's going on with them? That gave him a way to talk to them about God in a way that they could understand. And that spirit of curiosity started with his own curiosity about how, how God was working in his own life. So the question for us is how can we as God's people choose a posture of curiosity over judgment? How can we look at the people who are different from us who maybe don't behave in the ways that we would like them to behave and say, I see that this lifestyle is important to them. Or I see that this is the reality of their life. What is God doing in their life right now? Because this is true. In Him we live and move and have our being. So rather than say, well, so-and-so should be at church. Well, what's going on in that person's life right now? And what is God doing within their heart? How is God's prevenient grace working in their heart trying to draw them to Jesus? See, curiosity opens up possibilities of like, what might God do in that person? What has God done in my life? And how can God use me to maybe bridge that gap that the person is experiencing in their faith? Maybe I can enter in and encourage them and bring them to a closer relationship with Jesus. I think if we're going to ever get to a place of having curiosity about how God is working in other people's lives, we have to have a sense of curiosity of what God is doing in our lives. We have to wonder in this season of overwhelm, what is God inviting me into? In this season of fear or frustration, or disappointment. What has God invited me into? What has God done in the past? Going back to this picture. I say, boy, that, there were other seasons where I felt this similar way and God was there and God pulled through. Yeah, maybe it wasn't fun, but you know, God was there and working. So what is God doing in my life right now? If we can start with a, a spirit of curiosity within our own hearts over judgment of ourselves, because most of us judge ourselves, right? We say, oh, I'm not, I'm not a good enough Christian. I didn't do this enough. Or I'm not, I'm not meeting the expectations of others. Most of us judge ourselves, but maybe we can move away from the judgment to a spirit of curiosity. To say, what is God doing in me? And if God is working in me and is present in all my circumstances, then what is God doing in someone else? How is God present in their circumstances as well? We will never have all the right answers for people's questions. <laughs> I know, I've got a big fancy theological education and I still don't have anywhere near all the answers. The more you learn, the more questions there are. <laughs> Trust me on that. We'll never have all the right answers for people's questions or criticisms or doubts in the faith. We'll never be able to shout them down to get them to believe the things that we believe. But we can be curious about what God is doing moment by moment in our lives. We can be curious about what God is doing in the, in the lives of others, and we can tell them our experience and invite them to join us. Amen.